Imogen from SquarePeg. So when I prep for an episode, there usually comes a point where I want to just double check that I've gotten the basic details right. Like when someone changed jobs or finished school. And as I was prepping for today's episode, I noticed something kind of lovely on our guest's LinkedIn profile. Now, mostly I find LinkedIn endorsements and recommendations a bit cringy. They always seem over-egged in some way. But in this case, I couldn't not mention it. Below the 86 endorsements for startups and 56 for entrepreneurship was just one written recommendation by Shai Winninger, the founder and president at Lemonade, the insurance tech company that just IPO'd. And it starts like this. Mika Kaufman is CEO heaven, a true entrepreneur with a great mind and endless energy. And of everything I know about Mika, this is absolutely true. Mika is the co-founder and CEO at Fiverr, which he co-founded with Shai back in 2010. And the Fiverr story, or the Mika Kaufman story, is one of the great successes from Israel's thriving tech sector. If you've not heard of Fiverr, spelt with a double R, then what you need to know is that since 2010, they've pioneered what they call service as a product. It's like SaaS, but with a P. And they've created an on-demand, e-commerce-like experience that makes working with freelancers as easy as buying something on Amazon. And in Q1 of this year, they ticked over 2.5 million active buyers. While there may be 2 billion websites in the world right now, Fiverr easily ranks in the top 500. We invested in Mika over five years ago, and his journey to build Fiverr is one of immense resilience and curiosity, and it's packed full of lessons for first and many-time founders, and today we'll unpack as much as we can. The eagle-eyed among you may have noticed that today's episode is split into two acts. Our conversation was so rich and Mika's life so unusual that I wanted to keep his story intact while keeping the episode length manageable listening for you too. In act one, We'll hear about Mika's life leading up to founding Fiverr. And in Act 2, you'll hear the rest. We start our story in Mika's childhood with a lesson in risk-taking. Stay with us. So I, I grew up in Israel. When I was born, Israel was 23 years old as a, as a country. So it was a very young country. Life was very basic, very simple. Actually, um, I grew up in a kibbutz, which is a form of a socialist village where people contribute their time and work and effort. It's like a commune, basically, which being a kid was amazing, amazing place to grow up because it was very pleasant. I mean, as kids, we actually were separated from our parents because this was the method. So since you were basically a baby, you would be left with other babies under the supervision of one of the moms. But basically, you you never slept at home, which is, when I think about this now, it's pretty weird. And this is actually the reason why why my parents left the kibbutz eventually. When my brother was born, my mother just couldn't take it anymore. She wanted the kids with her. And so this was kind of the thing that pushed them to go out of the kibbutz to the city, which was another pretty interesting adventure. Because back then in in those days, if you left the kibbutz, you were kind of a traitor, which meant that they would not allow you to take anything with you, which meant that my parents were pretty much broke. 
didn't have any work, but they had a mission and they, they wanted to leave and start their own lives. And I think that this is, this is probably the, the first seed in what became the inspiration that my parents gave me about risk-taking and making this effort in, in building the family without having any safety net. What was probably one of the first things that, uh, that inspired me to turn into the, the person I am today. Mika was a very bright child, but had limited interest in participating in the traditional education system. I remember school vaguely. <laughs> I was a massive, massive troublemaker. I gave hell to my parents. I couldn't find anything interesting in school. So I skipped most of it. And my parents were pretty devastated because of that. They thought that this might be an indication of the person I would turn into. And instead of that, I went to the Air Force <laughs> when I started my army service. I kind of knew that I wanted to spend my teens years having fun. School was not stimulating enough. You know, that the way things were taught was boring. It didn't cater into any of my curiosities. Kids are born with tremendous amount of curiosity and it fades away over the years, which is terrible. And one of the things that make it fade away is school because it, it doesn't nurture, it doesn't feed into that curiosity. It puts things into these dogmas, into these structures that make kids hate learning. And I think that this, this happened to me. And to me, the frustration with the education system, the way it forced you to learn the same things at the same pace, in the same way, can be seen in a new light when you consider that Fiverr, the marketplace he went on to build, is structured so that anyone can pursue their passion as both a buyer and a seller. But back to his childhood and his emerging passion for technology. I was drawn for, I mean, technology was always there because, you know, ever, ever since, I mean, even in the kibbutz days, my dad learned physics and mechanical engineering, but in the kibbutz, he was driving a, a tractor on the fields. And I was sitting with him on the tractor. And we would later on fix those tractors who broke. When we left the kibbutz, my parents didn't have a dime. But eventually they bought a car, which would break five times a week. And my dad and myself spent you know, half of our times underneath that car fixing it. And then you know, my dad became one of the most senior executives in the world in the semiconductor business. So Technology was always in the house. We would build all of these electrical circuits together and machinery and stuff like that, which attracted me. The fact that I would probably go get a degree and do something interesting with my life was there, but the timing was not school. As we covered in an earlier episode with Shimon from Climacell, Israel is one of the few countries in the world to still conscript its citizens into military service for a few years after high school. Mika was drafted first into the flight academy, but finished his army service as a deputy commander of a combat ship. I think that so many things in the way I think about teamwork and leadership started at the army, no doubt. Army instills so many things in you. First is a deep patriotic values. You know, as a, as a 17 or 18 year old kid, you're expected to be the guardian of, of the country. The majority of the army is very young. So that sense of responsibility 
and connection and the understanding that Israel has always been a country with a lot of conflict around itself. So that sense of responsibility that is, you know, thrown at your face. Then there are so many interesting things that the army teaches you, starting from warfare, which has a lot to do with learning tactics and how to cope with very complex situations. It teaches you competition. It teaches you leadership. It definitely teaches you teamwork. So many different things that you would probably learn or get in later age if you don't do the army service. But beyond the tangible skill set, like how to command a combat ship, the army gave Mika this extraordinary sense of perspective. And it appears consistently as a theme among the best founders that we know, that they have this deep understanding about what matters to them, and they structure their lives to embrace that. In the army, I've been in situations that taught me that life is very fragile. And days that start very bright can end up very, very dark. And I think that this is one of the first situations that made me embrace this seize the moment mentality and the understanding that life is now. And if there's things that you're really passionate about and things that you really want to do, do them now. Don't postpone. And then life gave me so many reminders of this. I think that in a sense, you know, the the importance of friendship and the importance of being able to capture and store very positive moments. So you have a uh, power storage from which you can draw in your darker moments. My dad actually taught me this, which I thought was pretty beautiful. He said, take the time to remember the positive moments in your life because you are going to need to go back and draw from these moments in darker times. And this is so true. After leaving the army, Mika did take his high school exams and his LSATs and got a job in law. His plan seemed pretty straightforward. He wanted to get a good degree in a field where he could practice a speciality. And IP and technology law seemed to be a blend of all of these interests. But it didn't exactly go to plan. I actually hated it. On paper, I was very successful. I worked at a, at a great firm and I was making my way up. The honest answer is there was a tight competition between what I hated most about it. Was it my clients? Was it other lawyers? Or was it going and giving appearances in court? And it wasn't very difficult, which was another aspect of it. Like I felt that it didn't use my entire CPU. I hated every moment of it. And while it's obvious in retrospect that Mika did in fact quit his excellently paid lawyer job in Tel Aviv, the reasons for doing so were personal. So essentially, the idea of moving into entrepreneurship was boiling in me. But again, the safety net that being a lawyer and practicing it was something that was hard to move away from. When I was 29, my wife actually got sick. She had a pretty aggressive cancer. And this fell on us. We, we had a three and a half year old kid. I was barely at home, was working, you know, 20 hours a day. And all of a sudden, the most devastating news falls on you. And this was pretty tough. I mean, she, the odds were against her. And this was, I, I said, you know, that the army teaches you about the fragility of life. 
this was even worse. And eventually, after a pretty complex battle, she survived it. And we started gathering our lives and, and trying to get back to normality. But for me, normality was nothing about what I've done before. It was understanding that life is now and you need to live it right now. And you shouldn't procrastinate or, or postpone anything. And this was it. This was it for me. When she recovered, I gave my notice and I was out of there. And ever since then, I think that my mentality of capturing the moment, carpe diem, is just becoming more severe in a sense. It's not living the moment in an irresponsible way. It's not like trying to capture every moment as if it is your last. But assuming that you're going to be here in 30 years, I think is just stupid. So many things can go wrong. And so I'm definitely prioritizing now over the very long term. And I think that this has shaped many aspects of how I am as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a CEO. On the day that we recorded this interview, Mika told me that he met his now wife when they were 14 and that just two weeks prior to us speaking, they'd celebrated 35 years together and their 25th wedding anniversary. After quitting law, Mika started where basically all entrepreneurs start by solving a problem that was really annoying them. And in Mika's case, it was how to protect files stored on flash drives. I pretty much always started companies around things I was passionate about or curious about, and, and usually things that bothered me personally. I knew how I wanted to solve this from a technology standpoint, but I also knew that I would not be able to code it myself. This was way beyond my coding capabilities. And I started looking for a solution. I couldn't find something that was exactly it. But then I came across this page written mostly in Russian. I've used uh, Bubblefish, which was the Google Translate of that time. And I, I saw that the information in, in that page actually contained some nice hints into how I wanted to approach this. So this is pre-social media. So I, I tried to look for the owner of that website. And it turns that this is a Russian guy living in a pretty rural area close to Siberia. And he works at IIT in a bank. But his passion is to code. Like the guy is a genius. His English is pretty broken. Mine is not perfect, but his was, was even worse. And we struggle to communicate. But after a week or two, we decide that we want to be partners. Over Skype, they started to build the product, file for patents, and registered the company called Kinesis. And after three months, they listed the product in online software directories. And then... They waited. I remember getting the first notification. I think it was 1995. That was the price. And these were probably the sweetest $19 I've ever made in my life. Because this is like a total stranger, someone that doesn't owe you anything, that doesn't know you, it's not a favor, comes in and says, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take my credit card out of my pocket and I'm, I'm going to spend these $19 this is probably the, the sweetest money I've ever made as an entrepreneur. And what happened later was, was pretty wild because it started selling pretty nicely. And all of a sudden, we, we started getting requests from pretty big companies like Merrill Lynch and Deloitte to purchase site licenses for their companies. 
the problem is they expected to talk to a company. And we were two people sitting at home. You know, f- for my partner, this was a very, very part time because he was working at a bank. So th- for him, it was just coding in his free time. And so we, we had to invent ourselves as a company and create extensions for the legal department or the you know, customer support, which was me always. But give a sense that there's a serious company behind this. And this was actually a, a great company for two people part-time. We were making a lot of money. And through that process, I mean, my partner moved from this town into Moscow and then eventually into Paris with his kids. So that plus his work actually provided and allowed him to make a huge change in his life. But the thing that I find extraordinary about the story wasn't the fact that they built this legitimate, profitable company over Skype, which clearly cemented Mika's path in entrepreneurship. It was a comment Mika made about something else entirely. And it started like this. But, you know, this has been 15 years at least. And we never met each other, ever, still. We know each other very, very well. We know each other's wives and kids. We sometimes send presents on anniversaries and birthdays. And we always talk to each other. We were brothers. Like, we spend so much time together. And we decided that we wanted to meet. We did that for like three times and each time something happened and we had to cancel. And on the fourth time, I actually told him, listen, maybe we shouldn't jinx it. Like maybe this is just too good of a story for us to mess with. And we continue sending happy birthdays and give long detailed reports about our lives and families and send each other photos. I love this guy, seriously. And we never, ever met. Mika is uncommon in the Square Peg portfolio for lots of reasons, but mostly because he's founded more than two tech businesses. Kinesis, which we just heard about, was obviously the first, but we'll run through the others because it gives you a really good sense of how wide Mika's interests and talents span. Take his next company, for example, called Invisio. Invisio was a medical device company where we developed very, very, like, borderline science fiction technology for vision correction. If you're very curious, you can find the patents online, but this is pretty much science fiction. Now, this sounded like a big claim, so I did go and look up the patents. And as it turns out, he's right. It's borderline science fiction, a piece of wearable technology that allows your eyes to focus on multiple objects at once at different ranges, which sounds simple, but very definitely isn't. His next business was Spotback. So Spotback was, essentially you can think about it as Apple News almost two decades before. So essentially what Spotback did was it created a a very sophisticated algorithm that would understand through interaction what are the areas that interest you. From those areas, who are the best sources of information And from those sources, which are the best stories that would interest you? And this was super, super sophisticated. The technology was ahead of its time. We were doing Ajax before Ajax existed, injecting information into web pages dynamically, stuff that was never seen before. And it looked like a a rocket ship. And at the end, it didn't succeed 
for many, many reasons. There's so many lessons learned from mistakes you do as a young entrepreneur that if you, and, and this is another lesson from, from the army, the army teaches you to do retrospects. And so that's exactly what Mika did. He spent nine months at home doing a wholesale retrospect on his last few ventures, figuring out exactly what he needed to improve upon. One of the biggest mistakes that I've done as, as an entrepreneur at Spotback was getting to a point where the company was working on fumes, right? There wasn't any fuel in the tank. And being undercapitalized has put us in a very tough spot. But also picking your investors and creating true alignment between yourself and your shareholders, how to manage your shareholders, how to create a very transparent culture in the company, how to be aggressive on hiring great talent. So many lessons. We can spend hours just going through things that I I think I didn't do well enough and really what we're shaping what Fiverr has turned to be over the years as a result. And I think it's worth us taking a second just to pause on this because success stories just like Fiverr are generally told as if from the moment they began, the journey of the company and the founder was somehow charmed. But in practice, we know it's a lot of hard work and a bit of luck too. As Mika's retrospective period got underway, he decided to set up a think tank so that he could formally think through ideas with some of the smartest people he knew. We would just meet every two weeks, drink a lot, and talk about the future. And this was slightly before the uh, recession of 08. And we were trying to figure out where the world was going to, mostly focused on software and internet. And we spent a lot of time reflecting on it and thinking about ideas. And, and we didn't know what we would do if, if a great idea would pop up, if we would all of us fold into it or some of us. And but this was as important. The idea was to have the juices running and inspire each other. And this is where Fiverr started, with a conversation with his best friend at the time, Shai, the writer of Mika's sole LinkedIn recommendation and his eventual co-founder at Fiverr. It started like most ventures, you know, from a phone call that starts with the words, I have an idea, which we had. We had tens of these phone calls every week. But I think that this idea, even though it was pretty basic at the beginning, was something that we talked about. And this was, this was afternoon or evening. And you wake up in the morning and you still think about it, which is the first sign that this might be interesting enough. And the very basic idea for Fiverr was the fact that as entrepreneurs, we knew how to hack most things ourselves. But then when you think about it, when you're trying to do something that you don't have background in, even though you can hack it, you spend so much time doing it that when you later think about it, it seems crazy. I remember, you know, wanting to set up a blog and you can do that using WordPress. At those times, setting it up was not straightforward. You would need to download the source code, find the hosting company, upload it, configure it, connect it to a database. Like this is super technical. I could do it. I did it. But then I sit down and think, I just wasted two days doing it where there's other people in the world that can do it in three minutes because they've written a script that 
automate the entire process. So the idea for Fiverr was, was really this arbitrage of knowledge, knowing that if you can connect super easily to someone who, who can do something very, very fast, that would take a lot of your time, you would be willing to pay for it. And while this initial idea seemed interesting, Mika set about researching what he called the bigger picture. And what he discovered was this absolutely ginormous market, just full of friction. I tried hiring freelancers, both offline and online, and it was terrible. It took an average of about 30 days just to find and hire a freelancer. And every aspect of it was like dating. You want to find someone, so you usually you go to your friends and you, you ask if they know someone and they give you a bunch of names and you start getting in touch and then you find yourself sitting in Starbucks with someone and you figure out, if, do I want to work with this person? And then how do you solve through you know, pricing and payment and contracting and NDAs and how do we exchange files and what if I'm unhappy with the result and all of that? So there's so much complexity in a relationship between two people. And this was kind of the seed for the idea that if you can use technology to remove those frictions and increase efficiency in what is already a massive market, then you have a big business. Now, if this sounds like a familiar approach, that's because it is. What I just described is the story of Amazon using technology to improve on the friction of commerce. It's Airbnb for hospitality. It's Uber for taxis and you know any, any other type of ride-sharing. Huge markets, super inefficient, full of friction, and you can use tech to improve that. And we took a very unique approach into how to solve this problem, which was laughed at at the beginning. You know, the, the first 20 people that I told the Fiverr launching strategy laughed at me and said that this was stupid, which just gave me more energy to do it. The idea or the strategy was that if you look at businesses in general, 99.9% of businesses are small and medium-sized businesses in the world. So it's a, it's a huge market that you can actually approach directly, unlike enterprise business that you need to do, you need to approach through sales cycles. And we wanted to create a marketplace that would, that would be extremely sticky and viral. And we wanted to focus on this, what we now call the zero to enterprise market. And the go-to-market strategy was that we're going to go start at the bottom of the market, introduce a marketplace for microservices for micro-businesses. And then over time, go up market, introduce more sophisticated types of services for the more mature businesses. So that's essentially how we started. And so at the beginning, it was just a $5 market base for digital services. And this seemed too bizarre for people. People thought, you know, what would people be willing to do for five bucks? Turns out, millions of things. To hear how Mika took this initial idea and turned it into a 2 billion market cap business, switch over to Act 2. We'll see you there.